नमस्ते लेट मी स्टार्ट विद लिटिल बिट ऑफ ए प्री एम्बिल द प्री एम्बिल इज दैट ऑफ एन ए क्वेश्चन इज आस्ट दैट शोरबिंदो हैज नॉट गिवेन एनी एक्सटर्नल डिसिप्लिन सो टू से सो हाउ टू रिकनसाइल इट विद दिस कॉन्स्टेंट there is a stress on purification stress on sincerity as we find nowhere else actually at the same time we see no real uh, external disciplines which are given so this is because uh, shobindo is has given us the goal he has given us roughly the road map he has given us uh, all the main major stations the challenges that we may meet on the way he has equipped us with uh, all that is necessary and wants us to equip ourselves with all that is necessary and most importantly because uh, we must remember that mother and shurbindo walk with us on the path so they are not like a guru who just shows us the way and then lets us to uh, there are gurus like that it's perfectly fine who show us the way give us a method and a technique and uh, let us walk uh, facing the stumbles hurdles etc now shubhendra and the mother are uh, not even guru but something more than that like a mother as the mother said who not only walk with us but often if we know how to trust and rely they carry us in their lap uh, especially during moments of great difficulty and distress sometimes we don't even get to know uh, that we were on a dangerous brink till we have negotiated through it and when we look back and see we wonder how could it happen and then we re- realize that it's their grace and love which was carrying us through it so because they rely much more on their grace and love rather than on our efforts that uh, they could uh, say that one who aspires for this yoga he will reach the goal it is as true and more true than 2 plus 2 makes 4 so they could do it because they were not really relying so much on our own effort but having said that well it doesn't mean that um, there should be no effort even to receive the grace and love there is effort because uh, if we keep remaining closed if we are full of doubts if we are full of despair then ultimately of course the grace can knock the door and enter yet it's so much better if we know how to open the doors to grace how we know how to cleanse the agian stables which is whatever inner being often is uh, it makes the task so much more easier so this is the first part and second is that discipline is necessary but each one is left free to evolve their own discipline which changes from stage to stage because this uh, yoga is like a rapid uh, evolution uh, and this evolution sometimes can be very disorienting i'll give just one example from uh, something which i had gone through and a lot of people i am sure go through so there was a stage when i would love to uh, hear any music which was even a film music which was connected with uh, the divine or i would make my own connection with the divine this is before turning to yoga so this was nice because uh, any song could be turned uh, in that direction then after turning to yoga uh, there were bhajans which were so appealing which were like purifying the heart they made me feel very nice happy and uh, awakened some some kind of sprouting of the seed of bhakti 
then after some time uh, this was taken over by sunil das music uh, and savitri read by the mother and then after some time uh, you know things evolve change and then it is her constant presence which we need to refer to which becomes the most important thing so all these this just one example that there are steps and stages and at each stage and step each one has to evolve their own discipline there is a stage for example when uh, freely mixing with anyone and everyone uh, can be very risky the mother has uh, told about it vital interchanges as happened during at least indian weddings and as happens during of course parties picnics etc but there is a stage when one can go about um, travel to the whole world meet people and yet can remain untouched and unsullied so one has to feel for oneself know sincerely what one needs there are different stages and uh, the central crucial principles are what we must always keep in mind so that we we don't uh, lose the track and the central principle is what we see in savitri that very first uh, line when savitri is given a program and that is remember why thou camest and that is the aspiration so if we know where we have to go and this should remain always as a constant guiding light within us and then we will ourselves know if we are even slightly sincere that a particular activity whether it's helping me come closer to the mother or it is taking me away from the mother so or it's putting a veil between me and the mother and um, you know uh, so because we may wonder why what has this got to do with purification well purity in the sense that the mother and shurbinda have used uh, basically it implies to be under the divine influence and by implication no other influence except the divine so essentially it means that there are so many influences which are all the time entering our um, as the mother says as at one point that we are often like a jellyfish <laughs> you know all the things stick on to us as we go through life uh, we believe it's a nice thing that uh, i can read this literature read that literature i can be with any kind of company well eventually yes because the divine dwells in all but at the same time one must have a realistic uh, assessment of oneself and one can see that there are um, uh, certain kinds of company which pull us down certain books whose influences to uh, fill doubts and close the door and there are certain other books which uplift us and therefore i feel through this journey um, at every stage at every level one of the best companion or the best companion uh, external companion so to say is uh, the works of mother and shurbindo they very often when we read about uh, various ways of purification we miss out on this simply reading savitri is so purifying i have seen that it uh, changes um, all the things that are you know that create impurity we'll touch upon them just in a moment Uh, just a reading of savitri is like it just washes away it vanishes um i am reminded of the story of the agent stables which i just mentioned so one of the as we know tasks of hercules was to um clean the agent stables now agent stable as we know had 1000 horses so by the time he would start cleaning from one and go to the end the first horse has already started making things dirty that's how our life is because there are so many subconscious impressions 
and subconscious is like a hidden camera it's recording everything and there is no way one can just uh, shut that camera it's only it's a camera with only shutters open so even if we are uh, let's say withdrawn in the mind our senses are registering uh, hundreds and thousands of impacts all the time and they go into the subconscious so what can really cleanse it so uh, so hercules uh, had a very smart way of doing it he knew that uh, if he starts cleaning one by one it will be very difficult so he simply goes and opens the river draws a channel between the river and the stable so uh, this channel floods and time to time it cleanses the entire stable because it passes through the stable and cleanses it so this is uh, the essence of the process that if we try to pick up one difficulty one impurity um it it becomes an endless process it can be very tiring because there are countless of course when we start the process we think my uh, my uh, i am the spotless one and everybody in the world is uh, you know is having so many spots not realizing that all the spots that we see in everyone are there within us but that's how most people start the journey and then a time come when we begin to see that no there are plenty of things inside us but if we start doing it one by one it's really an herculean a, literally a herculean task because uh, it's not just about um, rectifying things outwardly and that's where we must understand the difference between a behavioral modification and transformation as shubindo says so much of our society you know believes in behavioral modification outwardly we should be a civilized person when we see people we must greet them well we must uh, speak nice words uh, etc etc now that's not purification it helps us to an extent uh, then at next level this takes the form of something more in inward and that something more inward is a moral and ethical purification so moral and ethical purification is done by the uh, power of will so here now we can enter into the subject this way that um, anything when it is purified we see that it goes through certain processes and uh, we can take it in a hierarchical way as um, you know drawing uh, parallels from the five elements so the first element is earth where things are there hidden raw unprocessed and we see a most uh, early humanity where things begin to emerge sheerly by instinct so by instinct the early primitive humanity they had no sense of sin guilt or anything and they lived life uh, with this spontaneous instinct that they felt inside it's more like an animal kind of humanity but there is in it a kind of innocence and purity that's the only stage when some kind of an early innocence is maintained but obviously man is not meant to just remain there and as we begin to evolve we see that several things begin to emerge and uh, one of them is the sense of good and bad evil right and wrong so that's the first step of purification first is when things emerge from earth nature there are people who are connected with the earth nature with the soil and they act according to a spontaneous instinct within them and it may have its own beauty and grace but that's not the purity that shubindo is speaking about i mean it's not about going back to nature and living according to whatever instincts tell us because we have gone through that stage we have taken the road as shubindo says in one of his poems to be as the gods and once we have entered that curve we must complete it we can't go back to that state of uh, tarzan like humanity beautiful though it may be 
uh, I mean it is at one level. So the next stage is in any purification, the next stage is where we see things, you know. One of the things uh, I remember in Indian household is that, you know, you have the grain and you put it in a little kind of a, um, you know, a vessel and you simply, uh, automatically the lighter ones come on the surface, that the gross ones either settle down or they are thrown out simply by the action and thereby that is the first purification. So it comes as we have the sense of right and wrong. So it's it's important. That's the moral stage. Let's put it like that. Also, there is um, you know law which enforces a certain degree of rectification, not purification, but things which are done purely for out of fear or favors from the state are not really has nothing to do with purification in the real sense of the word. They break down as uh, easily as we know in certain war situations or in certain difficult situations. So next level is an ethical purification. Ethical purification is where we, after we have done the sieving, we allow waters to pass through uh, and water cleanses. So what does water cleanse? Water doesn't cleanse things from inside, but it cleanses the surfaces of our being. So we learn to regulate our conduct, our actions, and we don't act uh, hopefully anymore like a, uh, you know, wild animal. We automatically know our mind, our reason, we become reasonable human beings, so to say. Our reason and a kind of buddhi understanding tells us that, well, this action should not be done because it brings certain consequences or this is not something which is consistent with my own uh, sense of nobility, my own sense of chivalry, my own sense of good. This begins to awaken in human beings. So it begins to modify our outer actions automatically. And this control is good, it's necessary, but uh, as we know, purification goes much deeper. So, because we may purify our outer conduct, but if the thoughts, feelings, will, they are not purified, then things um, are always susceptible, any time breakdown can take place. So, this first two levels of purification takes place naturally in society, moral rectitude, ethical purification. But in yoga, purification is used, as we know, in a much deeper sense. A person may be very ethical, very moral, and yet not spiritual. In fact, one may be um, stuck in the groove of uh, self-righteousness, which sometimes can be a big bar in spiritual life. So, there comes the next stage. As I said, the inner being must be purified. And that's where there are three fires that need to be lit. We spoke about the flame, purifying flame of love. So one is the fire of will. There are three fires already given to us to help in the purification process. But uh, unfortunately, these fires are either dimmed or they are put to wrong uses. So these three fires are the fire of will, the fire of emotions or feelings and the fire of thought. And they are literally fire. See, when a person is charged by a thought, by an idea, it literally works like, not only it energizes us, which is what it means, fire energizes us, but it begins to show us a light. It's a kind of uh, guidance we receive when we are when we pick up an idea and we start living by it. Uh, as uh, Shubhinda says in Savitri, a prayer, a master act, a king idea can link man's strength to transcendence force. Then miracle is made a common rule. So, king idea. So, we pick up one idea and we start leading our entire life based on that one idea. 
Swami Vivekananda puts it in a very interesting way. He says, first read, uh, think, reflect, then take up one idea. It could be anything. It could be the divine is in all. And then now let all my actions, or to start with, to make it even more simpler, the divine is within me because people begin to jump the stage. So when the divine is within me, what is it that I will do? So the entire conduct, thought, feeling begin to be governed by this one single idea. Uh, this is the golden rule which Shabindu gave as far as I know one one rule. He says also that there is one rule which I can give you and this is known as the golden rule within the ashram that um, always behave as if the mother is looking at you because she is indeed always present. And then he says, uh, try to think and feel nothing which would be unworthy of the divine presence. So this is one idea we pick up and that becomes the central idea which begins to govern our life. So whenever a thought comes which is... uh, Contrary to this central idea, if the divine is within me and uh, I used to have these images like uh, Shubhinda says that you must keep the temple clean if you wish to install there the living presence. So if this is the temple, indeed this is the temple of the Lord, our uh, body is the temple of the Lord, the universe is the temple of the Lord, each atom is the abode of the Lord. But to start with, let's start cleaning this temple. Uh, which means instead of bothering about what others are doing, let's start cleaning this temple. And then when we start cleaning this temple, uh, automatically we will know that there are certain kinds of thoughts, feelings, which are not at all worthy of the divine presence within. And I take certain practical examples that um, once there was a meeting. So in the meeting, uh, everybody was giving their ideas, opinions, Uh, viewpoints which is okay everybody has a right to their viewpoints so when my turn came so a thought struck me and I just asked everyone that just imagine that if Shurabindra and the mother are actually physically present here so are we going to do things the way we have done so far I'll take another example these things normally we don't even consider as anything to do with purification, but they have a deep ramification. There are so many Shurabindu meetings. I've been to seminars and many others, of course. And um, we see that, you know, people start introducing a speaker. And I'm so thankful to James that this was the briefest uh, uh, possible introduction. And I'm very grateful for that because, you know, all this um, vanity of who the person is, Uh, what are his accomplishments and people take great pride and then handing over uh, a bunch of flowers to the speaker and God knows what all. So I always feel that, well, in front of Mother and Shirobindo, physically when they are present, would I do these things? And uh, I I just uh, feel that we shouldn't do these things because who would uh, then go anywhere but to be at their feet? So, so when we live with this one idea, one idea that the Divine Mother is present in me uh, or the Divine Mother is present in my room. So again, in uh, every Indian household, we have this, uh, um, used to have, I don't know whether we have it now or not. We used to have this kind of uh, puja room. So puja room is there. Even I have kept it um, in the early s- stages. There was a dedicated puja room. So in that puja room, in that room of worship, you go there and you uh, keep, you know, it's a sacred space. Now, this is fine, but how about making the entire house a sacred space? Uh, So, I mean, when we start living like that, then every room, every business transaction, every communication with people, 
to live just with this one idea. So this is called the flame which lights up in the mind uh, using the power of single idea. And it acts like a laser. So how are we to make it uh, potent and intensified? By removing all kinds of discursive and distracting thoughts. So there are thoughts which run in all kinds of directions. Gossips and uh, this situation, that situation, that circumstance, that's this circumstance and somebody said this and somebody said that. God knows <laughs> what all. So instead of all that, if we can just let all these thoughts become like a single laser beam, uh, which is flowing through this core idea toward the divine. It could be anything. For different people, it will be different things. But the great highest idea that Sri spoke about is that the divine is in you and all the divine is in each one, that all is in the divine and all is the divine. This is a very, very, very powerful idea. I have seen it works like a magic and dissolves many things which are impure, distracting, restlessness, depression, doubts. All these are impurities. There are some gross impurities, but even these impurities, just simply that all this is the divine, these appearances which I don't understand and they vanish. Mother speaks of that and she says all the rest is phantasmagoria. So uh, these, this is the flame of the mind. Of course, it cannot be lit up unless there is love in the heart. This love is, here the love takes the form of love for a great ideal, for a great truth, a king idea. That I want to live with this great, uh, wonderful uh, revelation that has come to me as an act of grace. So this is one way. The second way is uh, the flame of uh, will. So as I said, flame of thought. Now will again, this flame of will or the fire of will gets uh, dispersed into hundred desires. Uh, so it, it by the time we sit for meditation, there is nothing really left because the, the, the desired self, which is the main seat of impurity, Shabindu speaks of it in different ways, psychic prana, the false soul of desire or the desired soul, these different terms he has used, which is the main form of impurity within us is desires. Most of the other things which take place, uh, it is because of this and it wears a hundred, hundred masks. Uh, even it hides behind the mask that I am doing mother's work. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> ego can take many masks. Uh, of course, ego is um, constantly wedded to desire because if there is no sense of a separate self, Desires would not come in. It's that sense that I am separate and the world should be around me and the divine should be around me, creation should be around me, everybody should be around me and from there all the impurities proceed, from there lust proceeds, from there greed proceeds, from there fear proceeds, from there insecurities proceed, from there suspicion proceeds, from there possessiveness proceeds uh, and uh, all the band of you know jealousies proceed. Ambitions proceed. So this is the sense of constantly living with the sense of separative ego. Now, ego has its own role in our evolution. We are not going back into that and it has its own place. And prematurely it doesn't, uh, it should not be dropped. But at least we should turn the ego into an instrument for the divine purposes. So whatever our ego personality, which we still call as myself. So this myself should be that May my being, my thoughts, my feelings, my will should be at your service. So the moment these desires which are running in different direction to satiate or satisfy our various so-called needs, most of them are artificial needs created 
sorry to say, but by our modern civilization, because uh, it has really, uh, it has uh, seated, put greed on a very high pedestal. It is the logical consequence when we have so many products of comfort. Now, it's not against science and industry. They must do their work. But instead of seeking truth, we have amassed in a whole product industry and then naturally greed comes in, desire comes in. For that, we have to be ambitious because without ambition, it seems, I don't know, we can't earn much money. So all this comes from this sense of um, me and myself and from there the desired self. So, so uh, instead of these hundred desires, if I can start desiring the divine, we may start this way that I have these desires. Can you grant me these desires? <laughs> Divine is a, you know, he's a trickster. So he normally hooks us that way that, well, you want this? Okay, turn to me. <laughs> so he's the giver of all boons. As the Gita says, there are four kinds of bhaktas. One is uh, two are the inferior kind uh, who are earth and artharthi, and two are the higher kinds. Uh, you know, the jigyasu, seeker of knowledge and one who knows. So in the beginning, divine says, okay, we'll play this game. You seek a desire and I'll fulfill it. But after some time, he, you know, automatically when this happens, after some time, we begin to wonder who is um, he who is giving all these boons. Uh, I must find him. You know, there is a story about Yagnamalk and um, Matri. So, Maitri and Katyani, is, he had two wives and he, there was a time when he wanted to renounce everything, even externally, and go for a still deeper realization. And he uh, split his wealth into two equal portions and gave to both his wives. And uh, Katyani said, whatever you decide, I am fine with it. But Maitri says, I don't want this wealth. I want that wealth, which has empowered you to... Completely give all these things and just walk as a renunciate. What is that wealth? You surely have some wealth. I want that wealth. So after some time when the divine begins to fulfill our desires, we begin to start seeking the divine for the sake of the divine. And one of the simplest ways towards that is to serve the divine. Have this urge. doesn't matter which way. People often ask that, uh, if I am doing this, is it service of the divine? If I am doing that, is it service of the divine? Well, any work can turn into a service of the divine. Of course, there is a special work given by the divine. But the road towards that is led by first any work which we have, maybe cooking food, cleaning utensils, cleaning the household. All these beautiful ways of sadhana have been taken away by robotic machines. Nowadays, it was a beautiful way to connect with the divine. I remember uh, as a child, you know, uh, my mom doing these chores and she is singing bhajans. And uh, you know, now we have the machines doing these chores. So, man is sitting and enjoying life, so-called having fun. Or life is having fun, or fun at him. I don't, I don't know which is uh, what to say. But this was the way of engaging the body with the yoga. Where all these small little things, even walking... Everything can be at the service of the divine. I may be walking from place A to B and it can become a service if I take it that well. Um, this, each step is offered to the divine. May it become a pilgrimage. Each day can become a pilgrimage. So, when we take life like that, where it's lived in the spirit of serving 
the divine whatever profession it may be i may sitting at a counter uh, responding to people maybe in a bank at the job of a cashier as a doctor as a compounder whatever it be when we do it with this idea that this work is the divine's work it purifies so beautifully that all the restlessness that comes in us because of desire that automatically goes away so this is one part the restlessness then desires create impurity in another way also when it is satisfied it actually only makes us quiet for a brief while then the longing returns and very strangely after a while the longing increases it's a strange paradox of life that uh, a person who has nothing you give him little and he is initially satisfied then he wants a little more you give a little more then he wants a little little more and you give him little little more then he wants much more and much more and much much more till the whole universe is small now this is how desire operates this not to say that people shouldn't have sufficient they must have more than sufficient to live uh, there is a very nice saying couplet of kabir and i think that should be a it's like a gold standard which i feel in in the original uh, hindi it is that sai itna dijiye jame kutum samaye main bhi bhooka na rahu sadhu na bhooka jaye so he is praying to god that give me just enough that uh, my whole family i can feed the family can be uh, fed comfortably at the same time if a holy person not holy uh, by the looks but a wise man comes i have even to feed him so give me a little extra not for aggrandizing my life but simply so that people can i can also feed someone who comes seeking uh, these things to my place so uh, there is a very be- this is a very beautiful way this not to say that poverty is an ideal not at all but uh, even riches are fine provided they are at the service of the divine so when the idea of service begins to take hold of us uh, then obviously the next step starts automatically that you know who is the master whom we are serving and there comes a time when we fall in love with this master and then we have this third flame the flame of idea the flame or the flame in the mind the second flame flame in the will and the third is the flame of love so this is of course the most direct entry because as we know love is that power which uh, brooks no barriers even human love that is the beauty of love that it can break through every barrier because all that it wants is union for the joy of union nothing else love wants nothing else uh, if love is calculating its love is seeing which god is better and what he will give me if he wants god to give a written contract uh, that well i am going to give you all this therefore i will start loving him that's not love it's business and calculation as shobindra says in one of his a uh, beautiful poems on love where he is of course speaking of the godhead of love itself that even when you uh, when i have gone you know you have beaten me still i love uh, because uh, easy it is to love uh, with need of favors as in a shopman's heart who when stabbed returns the kiss is he loves so that you know that when we then what happens is that many of these things what what really is impurity all these kind of distractions all these grains hidden inside uh, all this band of the spirits enemies as they are called whose name are fear and lust and wrath and greed and anger 
This is impurity. Or in the mind, doubts and various forms of, you know, uh, or sometime when desire is not satisfied, depression, it's a, uh, it's a big impurity. Some people feel that it's, uh, it's a good sign to be depressed, that look here, um, it's this kind of, some people believe in kind of modesty. Modesty is a, a concealed form of vanity. This is also an impurity. It took me a while to understand how modesty is vanity. And then I observed myself psychologically very uh, and, and discovered something which I can share. I saw that when somebody says something good about me, I tend to say, no, 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 it's not me. So I realize I am indirectly acknowledging it. <laughs> and then I am trying to, you know, modestly trying to put it as a, but inwardly something in me is also happy. So that's not, so modesty is also a kind of vanity. He who knows that it is the divine who is doing all will simply, you know, either inwardly remember and smile that it's all the divine. Tomar karma, tumi karoma, loke bole kari ami. It is you who is doing everything and people say that it's me who is the doer. Or you will at most say that it's all her grace, nothing else. So this, this uh, love is the most powerful of all flames. Mother says that in fact love is not just purifying flame. It is the flame of transformation. She says that uh, purification, the power of purification dissolves and then rebuilds. But love modifies without dissolving. It is an experience to be had. It's the most, I would say, the wonderful aha moment of life. At least uh, I have had many because maybe too many things to be <laughs> purified and got rid of. Uh, who knows? But the way she works, it is just amazing. And when she has worked upon a tendency which uh, seemed will you know is is just impossible because it has deep roots in the subconscious because impurities come from these two sources one is our past evolution and the second is the nature of evolution so past evolution gives us our constitution the second the nature of evolution wherein anything which is higher is subordinated to the lower in the beginning so the mind automatically justifies so when we justify tendencies things um, then obviously purification is a far cry First thing is to stop justifying. So all these are elementary stages that one should see things for what they are and uh, neither blame oneself nor blame others but persist in this aspiration. What I have found most useful is that one should never, 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 never give up hope. I have seen people, I used to wonder, I have seen someone at, uh, you know, 75 who once made a remark that uh, this is uh, natural and, you know, um, it's part of nature and someone who is following a path and when I heard it I said how can we accept things just as natural they are natural but we have to move away from that so then I went through that whole process and then I realized that no there is nothing in nature which cannot be changed or transformed but what is needed is that instead of saying this natural and I give up the moment we give up, we have lost the battle. And that's what these forces uh, which stand behind uh, impurities, they want. They want us to... And the last justification is, that's myself, that's my nature. 
I can't change myself. Are you? Who is asking you to change? It's the divine grace which will change. But we have to keep on referring, keep on offering, keep on. Sometimes by writing it, this tendency is there. It's like a hydra head. You chop off one. Ego and desire are like hydra heads, and they can take any form. As I said, ego can take the form of I am an instrument of the divine mother. I am uh, working for the mother. I am her channel. I am a senior sadhak. All kinds of things I have seen in all kinds of ashrams where big disciplines are given. I know of an ashram which is, uh, of course, a very great uh, yogi's uh, ashram. A very beautiful movement, and the yogi himself is wonderful. But I am just saying that merely living in a sacred space is not enough. But they have all these. Um, Nice things like morning, you have these prayers and then meditation. Nothing for distraction because uh, there are no TV allowed. <laughs> there is nothing, so it almost starves the being, which is not the way of this yoga, by the way. Because when we starve something, it it just um, you know the possibility is gone. We have to go through purification. Purification is not impoverishment. This is uh, something fundamental. So. Uh, one of the youngsters, uh, he was telling me, I had gone to their their center to give a talk and one of the youngsters was saying that, you know, it is so difficult to get rid of ambition. And uh, he was saying that once someone had called him to inaugurate a factory and the senior Swami, who was the head monk, he took offense. He would not speak to this youngster. Why? Because he was invited and called rather than uh, this more senior Swamiji in the ashram Shri had to remind everyone that there is nothing like advanced sadhak here there is only one sadhak Shri and the mother so all this uh, is about love and then so what do we do if we don't impoverish so normally what people do because love is such a tremendous powerful force it's the energy which can completely turn our life topsy-turvy and we know that wars have been fought for love. I mean one of the famous war is of course the Trojan war. I would even say the Ramayana was out of love. Ravan kidnaps out of you know misguided love and Rama conquers out of his love. Uh, we have the Trojan War where we have that scene that after everybody is called by King Priam, at the end he calls uh, Helen and asks her, do you still love my boy Paris? And she says yes. And he says there will be war. This was a war to establish the ideal of love. So love is a tremendous power and it's so frightening to most people that people find ways and means to Suppress it. And we know what happens when we suppress it. Uh, it takes very distorted, tortuous roots. And I don't need to give examples. There are people who have kept women under uh, under the wraps, covering all around. And uh, we know that what happens in the harems. So it takes very perverted form. So that's not the way. Equally, I am not saying that uh, one should just uh, live life uh, as a flirt and whatever it, it is. But... To love truly even a human being. The mother says it's a yoga. And she was shown this film of uh, Sati Anusuya in India. Uh, women alone had this great privilege of being called as Sati. Sati is nothing to do with uh, sitting on a fire and going into heaven. Uh, they were just about uh, uh, 
few documented instances of that and obviously they were based on a misunderstanding of something uh, very true and beautiful because most of the satis whose names i heard since childhood uh, all of them lived happily and they were regarded as sati during the time when their husbands were alive why because of that capacity for one pointed love and i have a feeling why only women were given this privilege because men perhaps are not capable of uh, that kind of love because men live too much in the thought and women live in the depths of the heart and therefore they can love truly and if one can love truly it doesn't matter even a stone if you love truly there is that story of uh vrinda who loved this shaligram this stone and uh, she took that stone as lord vishnu even an idol you take it that you know the divine dwells in this particular idol of yours i mean this is something which people of course speak intellectually but i as a child had this love for an idol plastic idol uh, of krishna in his childhood uh, mood sitting and with a something you know makkhan in his hand and i love to embrace this krishna and sleep with him till you know uh, maybe 10 years of age <laughs> people were so he has gone crazy now for me it was it was not about idol that was krishna a living embodiment so i could literally say that since childhood i slept with krishna it didn't matter i didn't need my mom or dad <laughs> they were so loving and kind and everything was beautiful it's not like i was trying to escape with transient object attachment as the psychologist would say but a spontaneous feeling that this is my love and then anything even that it becomes so living real and concrete that sense that krishna is my friend got so embedded in my dna that i could never relate with him as a god whom you should worship like this and dance like this and do these things he's a friend so this it could be anything it could be an object people have fallen in love with an image or a picture of mother with their eyes and their lives have changed so love can do it this is something which the thought cannot do because thought the moment it says eyes it will say okay which i have seen people asking which aspect of the divine mother this picture of the mother is representing do we really would we of course there is <laughs> one place when people asked the mother for four of a picture she gave these meanings but it is not like she said this is my image representing this and you meditate like that this is how the mind will do it but for the heart this is mother end of the story so when i used to keep during my air force days as a doctor during my md this picture of mother and shurbindo and one of my friends asked uh, whose picture is this so i said parents he said whose parent your parent or your wife's parents and i said both so he was quite perplexed as to how can it be my parents as well as my wife's parents but <laughs> that was the fact because she also regarded them or regards them as parent but they were living presences and it was so beautiful that they are all the time there so it's not that people often ask that i don't see the mother how do i love her well that's the beauty of love there are greatest stories of love which have taken place when even before one has seen one has heard this famous story of nal and damyanti a swan comes and tells this uh, interesting prince nala that there is this woman who is uh, the woman of women and then the swan also goes thank god you know we didn't have sms so it is so beautiful for swan to go and communicate huh? so 
says, you know, there's this prince called Nal and she falls in love. She had never seen him and she refuses even the gods because she has fallen in love with Nal. So how do we fall in love? Hearing. That's how we see in uh, yoga of love, we have this uh, Shravana. It, darshan comes much later. Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. Darshan is later on. So you hear about the divine. So satsang, reading Shirobinda and the mother, contemplating on their names. So in India, of course, this tradition is there. Thousand names of Vishnu and thousand names of Lalita, the divine mother goddess. So contemplating their names. How many, you know, you can pick up from prayers and meditations. So many names of the divine mother or the divine. The mother is addressing as Lord, sometimes, you know, a Lord of beauty, of good and truth and so many names she addresses. Unconceivable one, inconceivable one, life of my life, light of my intelligence. So many ways she addresses. And every time you read, there is an aspect of the infinity. So, by hearing Shravan, then Manan, by thinking about her. Nobody stops us from thinking about her. We don't need somebody to be physically present. And even if you are physically present, how much can we really, uh, you know, think? Thinking is, there are people who are in the presence of the divine and thinking of something else. So thinking, so that begins to automatically cleanse the heart, uh, which is where the seat of psychic prana or the desired soul, it, it covers the heart. That's how it is described or the deeper heart. That's why we see that of all the um, various activities uh, of, of the human psychological system, uh, love is something which gets so much covered with uh, very contrary things, suspicion, fear, possessiveness, jealousies, uh, all these things, even ambition, I am married to somebody, so and so. So all these things, but love purifies it, removes it. Even the desire, last, the desire to have changes into the desire to give oneself and be completely annulled, lost in union, rapturous union with the divine beloved. So the divine snatches away all this as one of the poets says, I went with all these various identities of mine and uh, he looked at me and all this was gone. He looked at me and I forgot all about myself. This is the famous story of the then Singapore president C.S. Nair, I think. And he came for a darshan of the mother and he was wondering what should he say. Because he is a president, he used to give awards and <laughs> certificates. So, he was thinking, what should I tell this uh, mother? People, everybody calls his mother. So, he thought, okay, this is a well-organized uh, place. I will tell a great lady, you have done a wonderful job. <laughs> so, with all these thoughts, he climbed the stairs. And then he describes when he was in front of the mother, he forgot everything. And he just uh, kept his head on her lap and he doesn't know how long he was, he forgot and came out a changed person. So this is the beauty of love, power of love. It is the shortest way to purify. So it may start with an object which represents to us the highest whom we love. It may start even with an ideal. But these are still not from the ideal, it may change even to a person. It doesn't matter. Shubhinda says, even if your guru is far inferior, if you see in him the divine, the divine will respond. That's why in Indian thought, uh, this guru, uh, Vishnu, guru Brahma, guru Devo Maheshwara, guru Sakshat Par, Par Brahma, Tasmai Sri Guru Venava. That one has to see the, all the gods in the guru, even the greatest gods. It doesn't matter. This was asked to Shubhinda, what if the guru is inferior? He said, it doesn't matter. 
Even you may go to a much inferior guru, but if you have taken him as the supreme divine, the divine will respond in your heart. So, and when you have the guru as directly the incarnate divine, I mean, Mother and Shurbindo, I mean, it's something unimaginable what can happen. So, uh, this is where even a human love can purify. We can learn to give, to love without expectations, uh, you know, without wanting anything, but just for the joy of giving. How much more when we love the divine like that? So, but only one last thing before I close and take questions is that the only problem with love is love happens. There is no way you can induce it except as I said through these some of the methods, Shravan, Manan, Nididhyasana. But who is going to compel that you listen to the uh, you know um, glory of the divine? Nobody can compel. Of course, if you listen, you will fall in love. Nobody can compel that you think about the divine. Nobody can compel that you meditate upon the divine. So what is, uh, is there a shortcut way, simpler way? So it is the company of those who are God lovers. This is how Shavinda says that in the beginning, the psychic seeks the company of the God lovers. And that was the whole idea of satsang or a collective uh, joining together. and um, Or simply if there is somebody who loves the divine and uh, you know to be in the company of those who are God lovers. That's all. And automatically because those who are carrying the fire, it will get contaminated. So, it, it doesn't matter. Of course, uh, provided the logs are dry. If the logs of wood in our nature are wet, then it will throw up a lot of smoke. So, if you are in the company of a God lover, you may develop a lot of resistance because smoke will start if the log is wet. But uh, even that is fine because at least that resistance will be like a catharsis and a cleansing. That's how many people speak about emotional purification by catharsis. And uh, yes, uh, art, music, poetry, there are beautiful ways of purifying the emotional being. Uh, because through these means, there is a catharsis of all that is dark and ugly, then it gets sublimated, uplifted, uh, until art, because what is art, music, poetry? They are an adoration of the all beautiful. They are an effort to bring out the all beautiful. They are an attempt to Bring the intangible, universal beauty, impersonal beauty and give it a form, a tangible, concrete uh, form. Music is that, art is that, painting is that, sculpture is that, poetry is that. It brings the beauty uh, of the divine, in, of the formless in form and name. So these are some of the ways uh, and in the end, self-giving to the divine. As I said, there is no better way that of purifying but uh, it happens when it happens. If it happens, that means we are round the corner or rather we are already there. <laughs> so, because of all the things, processes, meditation, uh, karma yoga and all this, love for the divine is the rarest of treasures. And if one has it, then one should just be full of gratitude, endless gratitude and safeguard it by uh, in the beginning at least it is to be safeguarded like all treasures of the divine faith has to be safeguarded uh, faith is a great purifier incidentally meditation peace all these are purifiers but nothing like the power of love but it has to be safeguarded so safeguarded from initially from all the kinds of company for, from all the kinds of allurements towards which this power of love can get uh, uh, wrongly channelized in the beginning it is almost inevitable because it's a tremendous energy 
very intense, very potent, very powerful. It shakes the whole being. But after some time, he whom we love, he holds the reins and uh, gives it direction, purifies it, and then all is beautiful, all is blissful, all is pure, shanti mein, all is anand mein. So love here, this purification here becomes dynamic. So purity in Shurabindu's yoga, to sum it up, is not the negative purity of a whiteness where we don't do this, we, we are free from uh, fear, jealousy, lust, anger, etc. That is the negative purity, white, stainless purity. It brings peace. But in Shurabindu's yoga, it's a dynamic purity. All our actions in every sphere of life, in every activity, every relationship, every dimension of life, that purity must flow. The mother is the wonderful example for all of us. And that dynamic purity, which brings in ananda, not just peace, comes through a dynamic love and service of the divine. Wherever we are, whatever we may be doing, we may be doing in every sphere and every activity. So I'll pause here and if there are any questions, I'll be very happy to take them. Uh, How do I know I'm in the process of purification? Uh, so many impurities in life. Yes, so how do I... One after another. Yes, so how... Yes, so how do I know that I'm in a state of purity? The first thing is an inalienable peace. Constant peace. All restlessness, anything that disturbs that peace. And I'm not talking of the peace of inertia and inactivity. That's not what I'm speaking of. But a state of peace, let's say peace even on the battlefield, is a sign of purification. And the second sign is ananda. Ananda means dynamic purification has taken place. So peace and delight, all increase in peace, all increase in ananda are the signs that purification is proceeding well. On the contrary, all disturbance in this peace, meaning thereby restlessness, excitement, or on the other hand, depression, feeling of despair, doubt, anxiety, guilts, all these things, they are a sign that we have deviated from the peace. We have deviated from faith. And the same with Ananda, that of course Ananda, I am not speaking of the frivolous Ju de Vivre, the joy of life, which people call as, uh, because that is a kind of excitement, which is like a pleasure, which invariably lapses into pain. But a state of inner felicity, uh, which stays with us, even in the most adverse and challenging circumstances, that is the sign that purification has occurred. So, we have these four steps in Shurabindu's Yoga. Shuddhi, Mukti. Siddhi, Bhukti. So, Shuddhi and Mukti go together. Purification means liberation of nature. Means liberation from the ego sense. Liberation from the desire and all the other hosts that come from it. 
so when one one doesn't feel uh, not only desire but even what we call it naturally as needs i need this uh, when that is gone away completely when this sense that i was insulted and somebody did this to me or i am the doer the sense of doership all these are impurities which uh, go away and one is freed liberated and in that liberated consciousness because the coverings are removed one uh, knows the soul identifies with it experiences it sees it so many things can happen so this is the first two things step is its sign is liberation then siddhi which is perfection and bhukti which is uh, taking the divine joy in everything but the first step is purification and it leads to liberation freedom freedom is the sign but freedom from all restlessness freedom from desire freedom from ego the true freedom not the freedom of i want to do anything and i'll do anything and which leads to more and more anger and agitation and depression not that freedom but the true inner freedom and it brings peace and joy thank you dr lok you described very beautifully the now uh, as a means of purification but what is, what what, is, what does one do in the very love itself needs to be purified more than anything else yes so mother was asked this question she was asked that you know um we are asked to abandon all love for the sake of the divine so what do i do if human love comes my way so the mother said ah go through it <laughs> so uh, she gave two reasons for it and she says well uh, what will happen one is that uh, it'll bring disappointment human love always it will bring the touch of bitterness at some point it's axiomatic truth this does not mean we should not hold the ideal well, let me clarify because you have to go through that journey but uh, it then one becomes prepared otherwise what happens one says that i love the divine but all the time secretly there is this hankering and craving so this is uh, one part that either through uh, one realizes its limitations and realizing its limitations one turns toward the divine second is which uh, at least is a path which uh, i find more comfortable with and uh, which which the mother seems to recommend she says people stop loving and she says if you do that many times you uh, take away the baby with the bath water so even the possibility of love simply because there is a chance of uh, you know as they say falling in love rather than rising in love uh, so they avoid because they are afraid and she says that well uh, sometimes it takes centuries to recover this possibility so the other way is that learn to love unselfishly learn to love without expectation learn to give in love not to the person and his fancies but as an act of love to the divine presence not to be hurt or angry if the person doesn't respond doesn't acknowledge or even gives contrary uh, movements so to love without any to look at it from a very wide uh, smiling benevolent uh, not benevolent with a superior condescending view i am benevolent not like that but a natural benevolence of the heart which is quick to uh, you know ignore all the so called defects real and unreal of others and continues to let this stream of love flow without any desires and expectation now this is where one has to be careful because uh, things may creep in and that's where one has to keep on reorienting oneself observe oneself very easy to blame others that see i love so much and the other person doesn't love me 
But for those who have taken the yoga, see, in ordinary life it's understandable and well then one moves on to another person where one discovers that the other person also doesn't love me. Then one moves on to another person till one discovers. <laughs> love is not to be found outside but within us. So the simplest way is to for one's own needs, if at all, one should completely be connected and turn toward the mother. To fulfill one's own needs like understanding in love, uh, companionship, uh, all these things which come, even passions, uh, passionate union. For all this one should turn toward the Divine Mother inside. But outwardly give love full of goodwill, full of, full of uh, the joy of giving without calculation. The Mother says this uncalculating, unselfish movement is one of the most beautiful things one finds in nature. Flowers have it, sun has it, river has it, even animals have it. I mean, human beings, I don't know, something goes wrong with uh, the intuition of the ego. <laughs> Early humanity has it. I have seen people who have very little money, but uh, equally they are not greedy. But at some stage it comes, because as I said, we have to now enter through this narrow curve, towards something higher and vaster and more conscious. So, whomever we love, not to be afraid when it happens. Uh, but when it happens, we should use it as a beautiful opportunity to love truly, unselfishly, uncalculatingly, without bargain, without bothering about what one is receiving and uh, even if there is no acknowledgement because it will help in the growth of the power of love and in purifying it. So to purify, one has to take the journey. Few more questions, Dr. Yes. Is that okay? Yeah, 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 sure. First question, what is the first process of purification? So first process of purification, which anyways takes place before the yoga itself has begun, uh, is an ethical and moral rectitude. And this is a stage through which everybody has to pass through. Uh, what is called in uh, Indian thought as Sattvic Purity or Sattva Shansuddhi. Uh, we can use a more modern language to be reasonable, to control the instincts and the vital extravagances with the help of reason and a kind of discerning thought. Uh, one can discern based on the consequences, one can discern, discern based on uh, one's own sense of ethics, whether it's, it's the thing to be done or not. This is not yet yoga, but it greatly helps. And Shubhinder says, none can really completely bypass this stage. Uh, the second stage or maybe the first stage from the yoga point of view is to light up the fire of aspiration. Which means not to justify the impurities. But always to have this aspiration of what I want to be rather than what I am. To justify oneself is to remain stuck where one is. To aspire means that's where I want to reach. And so when I constantly aspire for that's where I want to reach. So will and faith begin to constantly press in that direction and this aspiration must be tended against a thousand obstacles even if they are not allowing the fire to grow yet one must continue to aspire so most important that first stage from the yoga point of view from the other point of view the second stage is to light up the fire of aspiration and when lit to safeguard it tend it and keep on increasing it yes yeah. one more question Yes. I would like to know what is 
exactly meant by dynamic purity? So, uh, normally when we use the word purity, we talk about it as something which is negative, passive, more white and neutral. It's de- described in detail in the synthesis of yoga in, in uh, several places, but one of the places is, I remember, uh, is uh, I think it is the instruments of the spirit or one of the places where Shubhendu speaks of purity as a state in which you are not doing certain things. For instance, I don't have lust, anger, greed, fear, uh, ambition, desires. So, obviously, you don't have the impurities. So, this is uh, a kind of purity. But this purity is always subject to, it's a conditional purity. Because I am not yet uh, sure that when I actually engage in the battlefield, whether this purity will be sullied or not. Whereas dynamic purity is where my will joins with the divine will and is there to obey whatever the divine wants me to do or whatever the deepest inner impulsion or an intuitive truth may emerge from within dangerous terms, by the way. But still... (laughs) So, dynamic purity is a purity which remains unsullied by any activity. And when the word is any activity, it literally means any activity. It may be engaging in the battlefield. It may be in the most intimate aspects of human love. So, it's possible. I mean, these are things which have been spoken. So, But obviously, uh, it comes by steps and stages. Let's take a simple target that even in the battlefield, if my purity can remain... If I don't get into that seething anger, seeing something, if I don't uh, start, you know, uh, feeling that I must uh, put the person down and I must defeat him by any means, then that means it is getting sullied. So I must remain in a state of peace, equanimity, open to the divine will and act powerfully, forcefully, even on the battlefield. So that's dynamic purity. So, yeah. Lastly, why do we need to purify the inner being. Yes, so without purity there is no liberation. We will remain tied to a hundred strings of desire, ambition, fear. I am speaking from the yogic perspective and therefore we will be subject always to suffering, to pain and uh, to all the rest. Of course we will get some happiness also (laughs) because purification is a painful process in the beginning. But it's like that drought which in the beginning is bitter but at the end it tastes very sweet. Uh, But normal life without the purification process uh, will be very sweet in the beginning. But the sweetness doesn't last long. So that's a choice one has to make. Yoga is to go through purification. I mean any yoga. Now I'm not talking of the modern yogas which are like, you know, $100 or $500 courses. I don't know the running rate. Um, So that's different. That two weeks crash course in meditation and you are purified. That's all if not humbug, outright uh, uh, money-making process. But I am talking of genuinely all the great ones. Uh, take Patanjali Yoga Sutra. The yoga doesn't even begin before at least a moral rectitude. It speaks of five yamas and niyamas. That itself is very difficult. Uh, the Raj Yoga, of, uh, even for Hatha Yoga, the purification of the nadis, the purification of the body through its various habits, the instrument that one has to use for the Jnana Yoga, any yoga you take up, this purification, the methods are different, the means are different. In Shobindu, it's primarily through this uh, psychic flame. So, Shobindu stresses on bringing out the psychic flame through which, you know, the purification takes place. So, keep pressing in that direction. But without purification, there is no uh, liberation. So, there is no mukti without shuddhi. 
so what is it actually what what really is mukti freedom or uh, liberation it basically that the soul is forever pure it doesn't have to be purified but it's covered with heaps of dust of these things sometimes the crust is very hard stone like sometimes it's relatively easy to remove but unless we remove that crust there is no way i can come in contact with this beautiful jewel inside which alone is my which is my true self and uh, when i touch it then obviously there is peace and joy and one doesn't need anything from outside to feel fulfilled so that's why purification is important uh, uh, of course i am aware as i said there are modern yogas but look at sri ramakrishna paramahans uh, swami vivekananda had reached that stage where he said wherever he may be he would remain pure otherwise uh, all the ancient yogas traditional yogas shri krishna's yoga he talks elaborately about nishkam karma etc all ways of purification and of course shubindo's yoga it's somehow this uh, modern quick uh, uh, kfc and mcdonald style of yoga which you know believes that you can just uh, learn meditation and do the yoga well one will feel good no doubt about it but feeling good is one thing and uh, purifying is a different thing liberation is a quite a different thing yeah one more yeah yeah sure sure attitude we should take towards these purification attitude towards these yeah yes so uh, yes so i think i have touched upon thoughts and actions basically actions should be done without desire for results this is a very powerful way shobindo says and it's so true even if you don't do any of the other things just do nishkam karma this itself is a very very powerful agent for purification and then of course if these actions can be offered to the divine done in the divine service then that's wonderful but even if we can do it just because as the breeze blows or the wind flows or the river flows without wanting something in return that would be wonderful of course returns will come things will come because that's the law of life it operates through a kind of interconnectedness but they are not done with this uh view in mind as to thoughts one has to be remember that well dark thoughts harm me much more than they harm someone else so i just remember a few days back i was traveling with someone and the person got uh, suddenly angry because someone outside in the traffic had done something and um, i had to tell this person see uh, why are you losing yourself you will be the loser if you get angry and it immediately pacified so we have to understand that this is a treasure i can get angry and so called blow my hat off but so in actions and thoughts we have to be careful that these dark thoughts ultimately are enslaving me they are making me heavy thoughts of depression must go away guilt anxiety anger these thoughts are the um, impurities doubt is a great impurity shubhendra uses the word doubt skepticism and company they are great impurities of the mind so because they steal faith so all this at the level of thought action it's not about what we are doing or not doing it's the attitude inside which matters shubhendra has said very clearly action and event has makes uh, have no importance in themselves except for the idea force that moves them and the force that is there to serve the idea 
So the motive matters and that is something which we have to see inside. It's not about outside. Action can be anything but the motive should be right. And that one can know only in sincerity. As to food and sleep, the simplest rule, the golden mean, moderation and balance. Neither too much nor too less. That's how the Gita puts it. That's what Sri says. And there is a very nice uh, uh, couplet of Kabir. Uh, it says, Atika bhalana bolana, atiki bhalina chup. <laughs> don't speak too much. Don't be absolutely mum. So don't sleep too much and don't be deprive yourself of sleep. According to Sri an average person needs about uh, seven hours of sleep. So I take it as the golden mean. Uh, food instead of fasting, mother has said, it's much better to take uh, smaller quantity, just enough, uh, you know, eat. Uh, do not live for eating, but eat for living, which is needed. Don't fast, don't take to extremes. Extremes are never good. They titillate the vital nervous system and later on they can even weaken the body. But initially they excite the vital nervous system. So fasting is never a good thing. But eating in moderation, maybe three times a day, I mean dining room protocol, after all the mother knew. But not eating for the for just for the palate. That doesn't mean that deliberately we must avoid tasty food. No, we must know the difference between a nice rasgulla and uh, and and what is it? Bitter goat uh, or the karela, bitter goat juice. You must know the difference, their properties, everything. And that's okay. But we should not be hankering after this. It's the hankering which is, Yobindu says, the problem. That hankering, oh, I must... Uh, uh, go and get it somehow. People who hanker will go out of the way to get what they want. So for food, the same thing, hankering, that I must have this uh, this particular type of food and they search for restaurants and they or they cook themselves. Now that should not be there. But whatever is given, eat uh, tasteful food, uh, preferably sattvic. It's good, but eat it with taste, relish the taste, offer it to the divine. Turn it into prasad, uh, but don't hanker after it. So that's what is important. Moderation, as in all things, is the best thing to remember. Thank you, Dr. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for participating in this particular session. And we meet again tomorrow at uh, 5.30 the next session. Thank you. Okay. Bye.